Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome to Prophecy Today. We've got 90 minutes of information you need to know. You need to understand what's happening in this world as you coordinate that with God's Word. The prophetic Word of God lays out an end-time scenario, but we help you to understand the times in which we're living as we talk with our broadcast partners. By the way, we'll be going to Washington, D.C., the Pentagon. Colonel Bob McGinnis is standing by. We'll talk about 9-11, remembering it. We're going to talk about what it looks like ahead as well. With Colonel McGinnis, he'll be there at the Pentagon, actually at the Pentagon 9-11 Memorial Site. That's all coming up, plus much, much more that you need to have and understand as we look at the events happening around our world today, right here on Prophecy Today. As we get underway with our broadcast partners, Scattered all over the world. In fact, we're going to be going to Israel to talk to Winky Medad. We'll be talking with David Dolan from the area that he covers so well, the Middle East, out of Jerusalem. We're going to be also talking with Dr. Rob Congdon. He's lived many years in the European Union. We'll get an update from him. These are some of the people we'll be talking to as we talk to the broadcast partners, looking at the headlines and getting the details behind all of these headlines. In the Washington, D.C. area, Ken Timmerman, he covers geopolitical activities for us. And Ken, let me get right underway. We've got a lot to talk about. The Israeli officials have been puzzled by a couple of things going on here in the United States. For example, General Dempsey, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has made some statements as it relates to the Israeli possible preemptive strike against Iran. The United States is not willing to get involved because they did not want to be guilty of being involved in some type of a crime. That's what it sounded like his statement was saying. Democratic National Convention flip-flopping on their platform. First they take God and Jerusalem out of it. Then they put it back in. I can tell you Reuven Rivlin, who is the Speaker of the Knesset, the Legislative Body of Israel, said that uh, the President of the United States, Mr. Obama, has no idea what really the Middle East is all about. Give me some of your thoughts on what I've just said. Well, uh, Jimmy, you brought up two extremely troubling uh, recent events here, uh, recent statements of policy by the Obama administration. Um, you know, uh, I, I find this very troubling. I've been following this quite closely. When General Dempsey, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, makes this kind of distancing uh, of the United States, he puts distance between the United States and Israel and says that, you know, I don't want to be involved in this. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, if there's an Israeli uh, strike of any sort on Iran, that sends a horrible message. It sends a message to the Iranian regime and to Israel's enemies in the region uh, that nobody has got Israel's back. America no longer has Israel's back. Uh, now, it also came at a time uh, when the United States uh, uh, has dispatched a, um, another aircraft carrier, the John C. Stennis, early, ahead of schedule, to the Persian Gulf. Now, we normally have two, two aircraft carriers there, uh, one inside the Persian Gulf and one outside or in the region. Uh, this will, be, will add a third one uh, into the mix. It makes you wonder if the reason those aircraft are there is to actually prevent an Israeli strike on Iran, not to help. Well, this indeed is very troubling, not only to the people in America who want to stand with the state of Israel, but the Israelis are talking about it. There has been a report that uh, the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, meeting with the man who is the ambassador to Israel, 
from the United States, and these two men, they were screaming at each other. I mean, it was unbelievable, the conversation that was going on. There's been a United States congressman who was in that meeting confirming that, indeed, there was a very tense conversation happening here. These uh, signals that are being sent to the enemies of Israel, bad enough, but the Israelis, they have to make some decisions. They don't know which way America's going to go. This is not good for decision-making, is it? Uh, well, it's not, Jimmy. And then you had uh, the events at the uh, Democratic National Convention where, uh, as you mentioned uh, earlier, all mention of God and uh, Jerusalem, and by the way, also Hamas as a terrorist organization, were deleted from the Democrat uh, platform. Uh, the next day, they tried to put them back in, and uh, for those of you who have seen the video, it's one of the most stunning things I've ever seen, a three-minute segment where they have these three votes. And three times you have over half of the delegate, delegates in that uh, convention hall uh, uh, shouting out their refusal uh, to have God in the platform, their refusal to make mention of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. So I thought uh, it might be worthwhile to uh, have a bipartisan uh, gesture and to set aside our political rivalries and to send a letter jointly to the ambassador of Israel to the United States, Michael Oren, uh, reaffirming uh, our support for the U.S.-Israel security relationship, reaffirming our support uh, for Jerusalem as the undivided capital of Israel, and uh, reaffirming our support that Hamas be uh, continued to be designated as a terrorist entity until it abandons terrorism and recognizes Israel's right to exist. Uh, I think we need this kind of bipartisan, uh, shoulder-to-shoulder approach to send a message to our enemies and to Israel's enemies that America stands undivided in its support for Israel. Unfortunately, uh, some of the Democrats are not willing to do that. You know, it is important that we approach our support for the Jewish state of Israel in a bipartisan way. And in fact, a lot of the Israeli officials, Ken, are saying the reason they put Jerusalem back in the Democratic platform is to get the Jewish vote here in America. I'm not making that accusation. Uh, but that's the inference that's coming out of the Israeli leadership, and I think that's a very, very sad situation as well. Well, let me continue by talking to you about some others in the Middle Eastern region. Now, you're not giving the Middle East news update. David Dolan does that for us. But I think there's some connections with some of the states in the Middle East and other states or nations in this world as well. For example, the president the president from the Muslim Brotherhood, Mohammed Morsi, new president of Egypt, has said it is time for Syria and its leadership, Bashar Assad, to step aside. Does he have a, a motivation that we don't really see in the surface? Uh, well, uh, clearly he does. He is, a, uh, as you mentioned, a uh, Muslim Brotherhood figure, and uh, he would like the Muslim Brotherhood to take over in Syria. Uh, there has long been a rivalry between uh, Assad's regime, which uh, has been uh, fiercely secular, and the Muslim Brotherhood. Don't forget, in 1992, uh, Assad's father, Bashar, uh, you know, Bashar al-Assad's father, uh, wiped out tens of thousands of Muslim Brotherhood supporters uh, in, this, in the city of Homs. Uh, and uh, it was a really deadly, deadly attack because there was an, an uprising, much as there has been recently, you know, for Morsi to um, uh, intervene, to interfere in domestic Syrian politics, I think shows the measure of how weak Assad has become. Nobody fears him any longer, and they believe it's uh, basically uh, open hunting season. Well, and I understand that the Muslim Brotherhood has a key role in the leadership of this opposition against Muslim, uh, against Bashar Assad. 
Oh, well, that's correct. And uh, I must say, unfortunately, in my opinion, uh, the Obama administration has been supporting the Muslim Brotherhood, whereas there are other opposition groups that are secular, there are opposition groups that are Kurdish. Uh, we could be supporting them, but instead we are pushing the Muslim Brotherhood to the fore, just as the Obama administration did with Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Wow. Hey, here's another article that I need to ask you about. Uh, there are headlines in the Middle East that China is boosting Egypt's role in the Middle East while the United States' influence is fading out of the picture. First of all, uh, the United States fading like they are is of concern to me and you, I'm sure. But what about China? What's their motivation to get in behind Egypt and help them to become more powerful in the Middle East? Uh, very interesting to see that uh, Morsi's first trip overseas, before he even went to Tehran for the non-aligned uh, movement summit, uh, was to China. Um, I think it took a lot of people by surprise, and it suggests, uh, again, that Egypt is trying to pivot away from its long-standing uh, relationship, both strategic and economic, with the United States, uh, and to move closer to China. Uh, China, let's not forget, uh, has a huge presence throughout Africa. Uh, they have been buying up uh, mineral resources and farmland all across Africa uh, for the past decade or so, uh, and, and spending billions and billions of dollars, uh, there are tens of billions of dollars, really, to, to buy up assets and resources, and, and to gain a foothold, both politically and economically, in the African continent. Uh, for them now to use Egypt uh, as a, uh, another way of gaining influence in the region, I think, is troubling. Uh, Egypt is uh, still the most populous Arab country. They're the heart of the Arab world. Um, and this, I think, will signal a China's, Chinese return uh, to where they were, let's say, in the uh, early 1980s. One final thought for you, Ken. Uh, it looks like Iraq is exporting more oil than they have in the last 30 years. Now, this is probably a major development as it relates to the rebuilding of this war-torn country, and it's uh, much needed revenue will be coming in. But just talk to me about that. Everybody has said over the past anyone interested in Iraq was in interested in its source of oil, which may well be the greatest source in the world, uh, but they're doing good right now. Uh, that Iraq is returning uh, to oil production I think is good news. It does not show that the United States waged a war for oil, as some of our detractors have said. Uh, you know, look at who is actually getting the contract. It's not uh, U.S. companies. It's Russian companies and even French companies. One uh, dark note uh, on this is what's happening between the central government in Baghdad and the Kurdish regional government. Keep your eyes on this one, because uh, th this rivalry between the Kurdish region and Baghdad uh, could worsen and could ultimately, if things go the wrong way, lead to a renewed bloodshed in Iraq and a new civil war. Um, the Kurds have been threatening to hold a referendum to separate from Iraq if this goes on, if they don't get their fair share of the resources and the revenue. And, uh, you know, the Iranian-backed Prime Minister, al-Maliki, uh, is playing hardball on this. So keep your eyes on that one. Ken Timmerman reporting for us out of Washington, D.C. area, helping us look at geopolitical activities as they are unfolding in our world. Ken, thank you so very much. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy, and God bless. Thank you very much, Ken. Hey, we're going to take a break. We'll have our Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by with that report right here on Prophecy Today. 
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, we're going to have our Middle East news update. David Dolan has been covering the Middle East from his vantage point there in Jerusalem for a number of years. Very experienced journalist, and that's why we are so thrilled to have him as one of our broadcast partners. He helps us to understand. When he comes to the table with the information he gives us, it gives us a better understanding of what's going on in that unique part of the world. So we are thrilled when we can catch him on the run, always, not only in Israel, but around the world as well. We have to chase after him once in a while. David, thank you for being available. Let's get right to the conversation you and I wanted to have. Let me kind of lay the groundwork a a bit. Jerusalem, uh, the leaders, the officials there, the government, has been very much puzzled by recent statements by General Dempsey. He's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, the highest-ranking military man here in America. He's been making some statements like, uh, don't expect America to have your back if you go after Iran and that nuclear weapons uh, destruction, weapon of mass destruction they're trying to develop. Uh, You know, I don't think you can take them out. And then you look at the Democratic National Convention, the flip-flop, they took Jerusalem as the capital city for the state of Israel out of the platform, puts it back in. Reuven Rivlin in Jerusalem as Speaker of the Knesset said, Mr. Obama doesn't understand the Middle East. Now, that's the Duke's mixture of items that I want to discuss. There's the foundation laid. Talk to me about what you've just heard me say. Well, it is a bit puzzling um, in uh, in Israel just exactly what's going on. And, of course, Jimmy, it comes amid a report uh, earlier this week from Israel's leading uh, largest uh, daily newspaper, Yediot Achanot, 
which only publishes in English but has the English Ynet, as you're probably familiar, that many people look at. And uh, they reported that um, the Obama administration itself, not just uh, Dempsey, the chief of staff, had, this, had uh, informed uh, Iran that um, Israel will not be supported militarily if they unilaterally attack Iran's nuclear facilities and that um, in exchange, Iran was asked to promise that it would not strike at U.S. military bases around the region. And, of course, there are many uh, U.S. outposts, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, all with um, uh, quite a few U.S. troops. Uh, of course, three and now aircraft carrier groups in the Persian Gulf and in the area, lots of support ships. Uh, ships. In other words, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of U.S. personnel in the area. So that was the report. In now, now, of- David, excuse me, let me interrupt you just for a second. Uh, and I want you to continue on on the line. You're telling me what's going on there. But uh, I heard that was a rumor. Are you telling us that's a, uh, it's been confirmed that the United States does have this communicate with Iran? No, I'm not. I'm just saying that it was considered a significant enough um, okay. report that the yeah. leading newspaper in Israel published it on its front page. And they're not, they're not prone to just, um, you know, print sort of Internet rumors or right. something like that. Right. They're not a rag sheet. They're a very serious newspaper. And so they, uh, they apparently believe there was enough substance to it mm-hmm. uh, to at least uh, publish it. Now, of course, the White House did not say that's what we've done. And uh, many were skeptical that, uh, that they would have uh, done so, because that would, that would obviously be uh, a blank check invitation to Iran to, um, um, you know, uh, pr- uh, provoke an Israeli attack or something, you know, what they would most like to see in Iran is a deep breach between the United States and Israel. Mm-hmm. It's always been U.S. support for Israel, backed by Britain and France and others, but primarily U.S. support for Israel that's been the thorn in their flesh. They want to pry Israel away from the states as best they can, so um, they're, they're coming, I would say this, coming with Admiral Dempsey's comments, which were on record, of course, as you know, uh, coming uh, amid reports that now seem to have been confirmed that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, had a very, uh, uh, had strong words to say with a visiting U.S. congressman a couple weeks ago against the U.S. ambassador. Uh, to Israel, who is uh, himself also Jewish. The congressman was Mike Rogers, the U.S. Intelligence Committee chairman, and he said Netanyahu told him that Iran is four to eight weeks only away Mm. from producing its first nuclear weapon, and uh, he apparently tore in uh, uh, with the congressman, uh, criticized heavily, uh, harshly is the way the uh, newspapers in Israel put it, the U.S. ambassador to Israel, Dan Shapiro, over... A U.S. President Barack Obama's policy uh, was the headlines in the papers here. So it seems that something uh, has uh, emerged, uh, some sort of a change has emerged in uh, Barack's policy, of course, publicly, as saying earlier, Israel has our back, we strongly support Israel. And, of course, the president insisting earlier this week, or last week, that the Democrats put back into their platform, a reference to Jerusalem as Israel's capital, and, of course, a reference to God. But uh, as you know, Jimmy, that uh, uh, 
restoring that reference about Jerusalem was booed by many in the hall. Mm-hmm. It clearly did not have the support of two-thirds of the delegates present, but the mayor of Los Angeles presiding over the session declared that it had passed because he knew President Obama wanted it. Well, why did he want it? The uh, speculation in Israel is, you know, here we are two months away from an election. He needs to carry Florida. He needs to carry Pennsylvania. He needs to carry Ohio. All swing states with large, especially Florida, a Jewish contingents, and if he were to publicly turn away from Israel now, uh, he might lose that vote. So it just uh, underlines again, uh, Jimmy, how much on edge we are and, and the real possibility that Israel will strike fairly soon, if indeed that is what uh, Netanyahu believes, and he wouldn't just be saying that off the top of his head. It's fair, you know, uh, presumably intelligence is uh, indicating that Iran is just on the very brink of producing its first nuclear weapon, and so um, everything is spinning, and we're getting these reports and, of course, these comments publicly from Dempsey, which are very unsettling to the Israelis. Yeah, absolutely. And then the security cabinet meeting earlier this week, I think on Tuesday, and because there was a leak in uh, the uh, after the meeting was over, uh, one of the participants leaked to the media. Uh, the prime minister called the meeting off the next day, And I think uh, that was uh, probably giving us evidence that these people, the Israeli officials, talking about that strike, and they don't want anything leaked out of those meetings. Well, uh, that's right. I mean, it's an extremely sensitive time, and we we do know from uh, the public discourse that's been going on over the last uh, months that there are some in the cabinet, there are some uh, in the Israeli military establishment, uh, certainly some former leaders, because they've come out very publicly uh, against uh, an Israeli strike. And this is the argument, you know, do you, do you uh, can Israel adequately damage Iran's program so that it's worth any blowback, any war, any Hezbollah missile strike or whatever uh, that would come upon the country? And, you know, that, that might seem to some listeners like a no-brainer. Well, if they're going to attack in return, why would Israel do it? But it, Again, we're talking about Iran developing a nuclear weapon and saying uh, all the while that Israel will soon be annihilated, wiped out. So it's a question of, you know, maybe losing some thousands of citizens in a war now or losing millions, uh, losing the country maybe even if, uh, if a nuclear strike were directed upon what is, after all, as you well know, a very tiny country the size of New Jersey with eight out of ten Jews living right along the coast. In a, in a land mass that's uh, 15 miles wide and 120 miles long. So they can't play around with this, and uh, it looks like we're coming really to the crunch time, but, of course, uh, things could happen to delay that. It's, of course, horrible timing in terms of the U.S. presidential election in that. But, again, uh, maybe Netanyahu also gambles that President Obama will uh, back Israel in the end because uh, he does need those not only Jewish votes, uh, not that he'll probably get a lot of, of conservative evangelical votes, but he'll he, he'll probably get some, and they uh, also tend to um, tend to back Israel. So it would have electoral consequences for him to do nothing. And of course, Iran can you trust them? Even if their leaders did behind the scenes promise Obama that they wouldn't strike at U.S. forces as any response, uh, would they keep to that promise? Because after all, those Iranian leaders want to see chaos in the area. They hate America. America's the great Satan. And it's very likely that they would break any promise. And all of this, Jimmy, is part of the reason why 
whatever Dempsey says, U.S. forces are being reinforced, more troops are going over there, and uh, we do have some aircraft carrier groups there and are ready for any eventuality, and, uh, of course, that's necessary to, to be. And, again, Jimmy, this all dovetails with the Syrian crisis continuing, uh, the situation in Lebanon, Hamas, the Muslim Brotherhood, all these other developments going on that uh, add into the mix. And that's not getting any better. It's only intensifying in degradation at the time, is it not? Oh, absolutely. It's a mess, and um, it's really, um, again, on edge. And uh, uh, one can only hope and pray that Israel and the United States will be able to hang together and stay strong. David Dolan with our Middle East News update right here on Prophecy Today. If you've been listening, eavesdropping on this conversation, you know how serious the situation is. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We appreciate your input to us here on Prophecy Today. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, an interview with Winky Madad about no Israeli refugees. We'll understand why I'm saying that in just a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung at Master Control here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Steve Allred at the controls. We're going to have for you two very important interviews. Dr. Rob Congdon standing by to give us an update on the European Union. Winky Madad is going to come alongside. There is a Palestinian who is claiming there's no such thing as a Jewish refugee. Well, we'll have that discussion with Winky Madad here in just a moment on Prophecy Today. I want to remind you, we're going to take a trip to Israel. Love to have you come along. We have one coming up in October. If you can't make that one, how about the experience next spring when we'll be going in April to Israel? Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. You can get all the information about our trips to Israel, plus our cruise. We're going to Italy, Turkey, and Greece. That's upcoming this year. Find out about it at prophecytoday.com. Right now, we're going to be talking with Winky Madad. He's one of our broadcast partners, a man who is involved in living in the Jewish settlements. He lives in a place called Gilo. And I've got to tell you this. During the break, we were talking with Winky Madad. He told us earlier he had been involved in a firebomb attack on his bus. He works in Jerusalem, coming out to his home there in Chilo. Just a brief report. What happened, Winky? Well, just north of uh, the community of Afra, which is about two-thirds of the way north between Jerusalem and my home community of Shiloh, uh, the bus we were traveling on, the 148, at approximately 7.40 in the evening, was struck by two uh, 
we can call either firebombs or the Molotov cocktails, depending on your lingo. Uh, the front mirror on the right side was broken. One firebomb stayed on the right side of the road. Another one slithered across to the left. Uh, as most people should know, our buses are protected uh, not only from firebombs but also bullets due to the fact that we are occasionally attacked. And uh, the bus made its report to the Army and continued on our way. And you're all safe and sound. Yes, we're all safe and sound, uh, but uh, of course this uh, would have been, I think, a bit different if a private vehicle, a family car, um, it quite possibly the firebomb would have gone through the front window if it wasn't properly protected. Uh, these things do happen. Uh, unfortunately, not only do they happen, but the public uh, interest or consciousness of the fact that low-intensity terror continues in our area is uh, one thing that's unfortunate. Wow. Well, this is a sad report to have to give, but uh, praise the Lord that you are safe and sound and uh, that uh, the Lord protected you from any harm there. This is the lifestyle the Jewish settlers must live. They believe God has given them this piece of real estate, and thus they are living there, but there are a people, and these people would like to wipe the Jews into the Mediterranean, get rid of them on the land that God has given them. This is all of a prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Uh, we will talk about it maybe a bit later when we take a look at the book. But I want to talk about, with Winky Madad, how there is an element in the Palestinian leadership that says there's no such thing as Jewish refugees, and that all the Jews that are now living in the land, even somebody like Winky Madad, is simply an immigrant and not a refugee. It is true that Winky Madad is an immigrant, but there are some refugees. We'll get to that in just a moment. But there's another breaking story, Winky, I want to deal with before we get to my main focus today with you in our conversation. There has been a cistern, that is a body of water, a container that holds water, uh, that has been found there in the area of the original city of Jerusalem, the city of David, it, uh, it was fed by the Gihon Spring, and it dates back to the first temple. Now, that's about the extent of what I know. Talk to me about this unbelievable archaeological discovery. Well, Jimmy, uh, as we know, uh, there is, uh, besides the scientific uh, interest in this, um, uh, first of all, uh, of course, it, it, it's historical. It means that what you and I read in the Bible about Jews living in there and, 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 and carrying on everyday life in addition to all the prophecy, battles, and visions they also dealt with on a spiritual level, there was the very simple uh, fact of life that people lived there. And this is being undercut by propaganda attempts, and it's always a delight. Uh, and we've spoken about this, I think, many times on, uh, on our conversations uh, on, on your program, uh, all sorts of various artifacts, uh, structures, uh, jewelry, uh, armaments, all sorts of things keep coming out of the ground that prove 
that the Bible, in addition to being a religious tract, is also a history book that told, told the story of whoever was in that country at that time and confirms that the Jewish people have a 3,000-year-old history with this land. The find today was very simply a reservoir, a large cistern holding water close to the Western Wall area uh, uh, that said that Jerusalem was not only fed by springs, either the Gihon or later on uh, from the area of, uh, of uh, what we call Solomon's Pools or what, the Gush Etzion area that I hope people know what I'm talking about, south of Jerusalem, that were fed in through Herodian uh, pipes uh, with gravity uh, acting as a push. When you reported this to me, and when we called to arrange to have this conversation, you sound, sounded very excited. This is a major archaeological find to prove there was existence of Jewish people back in First Temple sign times, is it not? Well, yes. I mean, uh, f first of all, uh, too many people think that the Bible is a bunch of fairy tales uh, or a book of visions and dreams that might have uh, at the best for them uh, and these are people that I guess we'd call either atheists or agnostics. Uh, they're willing to say there's an element of uh, morality and ethics in the book, but nothing more. And there are other people who I call, from all types of religions, Bible believers, that the Bible told a story that was genuine, authentic, and happened, uh, and uh, we, uh, we have to recall... Uh, the finding of the name of, of, of Hebrew script, for example, last year in the Elah Valley at the Keifa, or at Tel Dan, we even found the name of David, David. And these are very important because they confirm not only the past, but also say that we have a future in this land of ours. Is this location open to the public yet, or are the archaeologists still doing some work there? No, it's not open. They plan to have some sort of access, whether it means actually going uh, into the system and standing on it, or perhaps uh, some sort of platform from steps leading down, uh, because if everybody walks in there and touches the wall, it's going to uh, not last very long, I can tell you that. But I have on my blog uh, at least one picture of, of what it looks like, and it is exciting, as you say. Well, this is a very, very important bit of information. Uh, as it relates to the authenticity of the Word of God. Now, Winky and I both believe the Word of God was real, was true before this, but this only helps to confirm that. Winky, let's take our focus now to the issue I wanted to talk with you about, Hanan Ashwari. She is a member of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. She's an official in that organization. It's a conglomerate of the Palestinian groups which was founded by Yasser Arafat back in 1964. Now, she has made the statement there's no such thing as Jewish refugees. She said that all the Jews living in the land of Israel today immigrated into the land. And a moment ago, I did say that is true to some extent. Not all of them, but most of them did. In fact, you're an immigrant into the land from America, are you not? Uh, I, well, some people might say so. I consider myself a Jew who returned or repatriated himself to his, his homeland. 
Uh, in fact, that's what we've been doing ever since we left. Or more properly, I think, we lost our political independence. Uh, anybody who has an open mind and can read history uh, can go to dozens of books that record Jews coming into the land of Israel during the Byzantine period, uh, under the Crusaders. With the, Jews came with the conquering Arabs in 1638 into Jerusalem. Uh, um, the uh, uh, immigration, or what we call in Hebrew, Aliyah, the ascent to the land of Israel, by um, Hasidim, uh, 300 families in 1777. Uh, this has been going on in every single century. Uh, Hanan Ashrawi is an Arab propagandist who twists history and uh, unfortunately uh, ignores the fact that Jews had to flee Iraq, Egypt, uh, and many other Arab countries, Lebanon, Syria, right after the 1948 war, because the Arabs, once Israel was established, wanted to take revenge on them. I don't know what she's talking about. Well, as I understand it, about 850,000 of the Jewish people living in Israel today were thrown out of these Arab countries, some 23 to 26 different countries, and they didn't decide, hey, I just want to go live in the land of the Bible. They were thrown out. They had to leave with basically only the clothes on their body, all of their treasures, all of their homes, all of their properties, all of their businesses. They were left behind. Is that pretty correct? Not only is it correct, but I can add that in Iraq and Egypt, even until 1956, there were pogroms. There were vicious, violent riots that killed Jews simply because they were Jews. There's the famous Farhud in Iraq in 1941, you know, six years, seven years before Israel was created. Uh, so uh, twisting or misrepresenting history, unfortunately, is part of another part of semantic or information war that Israel has to fight in addition to the terror uh, actually launched against us. You know, I was interested in the way you answered my question, are you not an immigrant? And you kind of avoided the answer to that question, but in essence you were saying we're all refugees, because as I go back in biblical history, it was 70 A.D. when General Titus led the Roman army into Jerusalem, devastated the temple, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and dispersed the Jews to the four corners of the earth. So you indeed, your people were forced out of their homeland, the land of their forefathers, and they've been coming back. So I guess every single Jew that has come back into the land is truly a refugee. Uh, in one sense, yes. Uh, but I, I would still like to make a distinction. There are Jews who fled to the land of Israel because of pogroms. Uh, they were not smart enough to leave earlier. And we can only see it some of the Jews after the Holocaust. Uh, there are other Jews, like myself. I, uh, I think I was well off uh, physically and materially in the United States, but I chose, I made a decision that my uh, religious uh, cognizance of who I am, not only as an individual, which is important, but as part of a community, meant that I should move and if you want to say immigrate to the land of Israel, 
Uh, I was not a refugee in the sense that most people think refugees are people, as you said, have to flee or with only the uh, coat on their backs and stuff like that. So um, this is my way of answering your question. I, it could go either way, Jimmy. Absolutely. What do you think is behind uh, this statement by Ashwari? It, 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 does she have a program? Uh, is there a plan? Is there a campaign that the Palestinian people would like to be involved in making the world think something different about the Jewish people? Uh, let me answer that with a story, Jimmy. Uh, as you probably remember, I was at the Madrid conference in 1991. I was with a group of about 15 or so residents of Judea and Samaria who decided to make sure that there was a presence of us at that conference. And at that conference, Hanan Ashrawi made the astounding declaration that Jesus was a Palestinian. Um, and um, when there was no Palestine, uh, trying to co-opt uh, the Christian uh, community onto her uh, Palestinian national movement uh, bluff. Uh, she's a well-known, she's an English major, she teaches English literature, uh, she is an expert in the language, and uh, this is her way of fighting the battle for what she believes is a cause worthy. I think she's wrong, not only historically, but also about her cause. Uh, but yes, Hanan is a person who has to be watched very carefully. Well, she's not only educationally incorrect, politically incorrect, but she's biblically incorrect as well, is she not, Winky? Absolutely, Jimmy. Uh, it reminds me, I think I've said it more than once on your program, uh, that at the Camp David II conference in 2000, even Bill Clinton was astounded when Arafat said there was no temple in Jerusalem, and Ehud Barak quipped, when Jesus came to a certain place to turn the tables of the uh, money changes over, he wasn't in a mosque. He was in the temple. And so I think you and I know the history much better than even Yasser Arakat uh, could lie about. <laughs> and, and most world leaders as well. Winky Madad, he's a special friend to us and one of our broadcast partners and has given us some great information in our conversation today. Winky, thank you so very much, my good friend. Have a, a great weekend, and we'll talk again real soon down the line. And I'll try to take care on the roads. Absolutely. God bless. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye, Jimmy, to you and our listeners. You know, Winky Madad always brings something to the table that is very important for us to understand. He's done it again as we talk about the issue of Jewish refugees and the Palestinian officials saying there's no such thing. You might want to re-listen to that conversation. It was, it was really key to knowing really the truth behind that particular issue. Well, a man who always tells us the truth because he's on top of the truth as it is unfolding in the European Union is Dr. Rob Congdon. Rob has lived many years in the European Union. He's back and forth between the two, but he's in a conference ministry traveling all over the countryside all the time. We try to catch him when we can to get a European Union update, and that's what we're doing right now. Rob, let me get right underway with the conversation and ask you about something that still is focusing back on the Middle East, 
the Israeli prime minister is urging the European Union, all of it, all the member states, to backlist a group called Hezbollah. Now, the rest of the world is referring to them as terrorists. I'm not sure what the European Union is doing, uh, but when the prime minister is requesting these leaders of the European Union to do so, you, are they going to consider it? What are the thoughts? What's going to happen? It's hard to say what they'll do. Uh, they've been hesitant to really look at Hezbollah, at the actions it's done, and this urging them uh, to consider making them a terrorist group would have quite a few uh, political and uh, certainly economic ramifications toward Lebanon and some of the other countries in the Middle East. So what I'm seeing is just the typical EU. They're being very cautious. They, they'd rather have not been put in the position of being urged to do it. Uh, it was, I think it was smart to uh, request that, and it's going to push them into the spot. They've got to reach a decision. Very interestingly, the current president holding the current presidency of uh, the EU is the Cypriot part of the EU, so they've been involved in tensions before. They're closer to the region, so I, I think they'll at least consider it, but uh, Italy has been trying to hold it back for various reasons, and they're saying they want more proof that Hezbollah truly is terrorist. So uh, while much of the world has recognized Hezbollah as terrorist organization, the EU is just kind of dragging their feet and trying to set up obstacles. So the outcome is very hard to predict on this. You know, I think that if they look back in history, 1982, when it was Hezbollah, the surrogate terrorist organization for Iran, sent into southern Lebanon by Ayatollah Khomeini, who actually was the leader of the revolution. Uh, they bombed the marine barracks there, and I think 252 marines were killed, U.S. American Marines. That ought to be evidence that uh, this is indeed a terrorist group. Let's uh, step aside from that, though. That's another discussion really for another time. But I have seen information coming out of Europe uh, that there are Jewish synagogues in Europe that have security people on duty 24-7. They're not allowed to let tourists come in, take pictures in the synagogue. I mean, this growing threat of Islamic terrorism is coming into Europe, and in particular focused on the Jewish people, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. I think it's become even greater focus that uh, we're right now at the point where they have what in uh, the European Union a day of open house, so to speak, of the synagogues throughout the all 27 nations of the European Union. They call it the European Day of Jewish Culture. Uh, Sixteen years ago, they started this. They opened the doors to try to uh, build, the, build the bridges between the Jewish community and the non-Jewish European Union folks. And so um, on the day where you could go into the synagogues and see them, uh, the security has been very, very tight. I know when I lived in Scotland, I had tried to get to see the synagogue there in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I just found closed doors everywhere I turned. They were very cautious, and that was several years ago. The tensions have been growing. The anti-Semitism is growing. And so it's a tough time for the Jewish people in Europe. They want to be open. They want to be visible. They want to build bridges. And yet they have to always keep in mind that any moment something could happen and uh, could bring terror to their synagogues. We're going to keep a focus on what's happening in the European Union as it relates to persecution of the Jewish people, the growth of the radical Islamists there. Well, let's focus now on the European Union. Mr. Baruso, who is the 
president of the commission, making a statement that he wants the European Union treaty to be renewed. In fact, Angela Merkel, who was chancellor of Germany, brought that to the floor as well, something about having a treaty convention of some type. What's going on? Are they getting ready to try to change the European Union Treaty, the Lisbon Treaty? Oh, I I believe that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're laying the groundwork. They want, by December, to start discussing how it should be changed. Just keep in mind, the basic idea of the leadership now, the European Union, is in order to solve the crises over there, they need to make it a stronger political and financial union and a weaker, if you will, individual states within the European Union. So now we have uh, Russo, who is really the top man in the European Union. He's president of the European Commission. He's pressing for a revision to the treaty. Uh, Chancellor Merkel of Germany, very influential leader of the European Union and the European Council, she also wants to change it. She's interested in the finances. So you have really two very key people pushing for this. And uh, I'm sure they will be doing it because increasingly the European Union is being criticized for its inability to move quickly and handle crisis. And uh, they're using that to say we need a tighter, stronger treaty. And always remember, it's through the treaties they gain their power. They always gain their power when a crisis occurs. So everything is coming just together to exactly further the development of the European Union as a single empire instead of 27 states. Well, now let's just back off for a moment. And you discussed with me the treaty. It was, uh, it was brought up and passed there in Lisbon, Portugal. The Lisbon Treaty is what it's called. It was ratified in November uh, of 2009, I believe, November the 3rd. I, I want to ask you about how they would ratify, if there are any changes, another treaty. But is the original treaty not binding enough? Uh, does it need some teeth in it? Is that what they're talking about? That's exactly right. The original treaty further strengthened the union, but didn't really tie down the financial controls. And always it's the controlling of the money and the budgets, if you will, of the nations that does that. What the current crisis has pointed out is that individual nations can either lie to the European Union, they can deceive them in their numbers, and they can kind of hide how critical their situation is. And Greece is the prime example of that. What the European Union is now saying is, hold it, we just can't, in essence, they're saying, trust our own states to give us the information we need in order to govern and control the entire union. Therefore, we want more power, so to speak, right in their house to see what they're doing and to check up on them. It's really reflecting this distrust of the individual states as being capable of running their own affairs. And, of course, that's what always is the case when you see a desire to centralize power and get it away from the states. So um, it it really is a, a push that is starting to grow very rapidly in key leaders. Well, then, if indeed they have a new treaty, or they hold a convention and open up the possibility of changing the treaty, would they have to go back and do that same ratification process they did back in 2009? Or there is, a, is there a simpler way to get to the end result? Each treaty builds on the previous, so I, we can't, it's really not quite like our amendment process, but they can add to the treaty. The key is don't let the people vote, just keep it at the high leaders' level of the parliaments to vote. 
And I, it, the process will be easier, I think, this time because there's more financial leverage on some of the more difficult nations in the European Union. Those that might resist a reformation, they can put political, uh, financial pressure on them now that they didn't have a few years ago. I think I heard you say a few moments ago this would uh, centralize the power with the European Union and give less power to the member states. Sounds like the development of an empire, does it not? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the path was laid out now not quite a hundred years ago by the founders of the European Union. They're well on the path, and the, po- the goal is the single centralized power that would control it, and that for all purposes is an empire. It's rather unique in its form of government, but it's still an empire with a small group will be the true powers of that empire. So they're well on their way, and I think we're starting to see that speeding up to getting closer to their goal. Wow, closer to their goal and empire. How about a revived Roman Empire? That's the prophetic scenario found in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and referred to in Revelation 17. Rob, it's very important we have these conversations with you. Thank you for making yourself available. And uh, praise the Lord for your ministry, your outreach to people teaching all over the countryside, all over the world. We so appreciate you giving us a few moments to update us on events happening in the European Union. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, good buddy. Well, Lord bless. It's good to be with you. Thank you so very much, Rob. We appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to Rob. It's key we focus on the, the European Union. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Bob McGinnis at the Pentagon. We'll be thinking about 9-11. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, Jimmy DeYoung here at Master Control in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. So glad you could join us. In just a moment, we're going to be talking with Colonel Bob McGinnis. He's been a longtime broadcast partner with us. We're going to the Pentagon, and we're going to talk to him about 9-11, his reflection. He's been working at the Pentagon for a number of years. He has some memories that uh, will help us to understand what did happen. I'm going to ask Bob if is it possible, could there be another attack on the United States? We'll find out what he has to say, so keep the dial set right wherever it is. By the way, this brings me to the poll question here on Prophecy Today. You go to our website, you can answer the poll question. It's on the left-hand side of our home page. Here's the question. As we stop this week to remember those killed in the horrific attack in America, on America, in New York City and Washington, D.C., and the fields of Pennsylvania, do you believe that the threat of another attack on America could happen, especially in light of the prophetic passages in God's Word that say there will be wars and rumors of wars? That's Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7. All of this as we await the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the poll question. Please go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Hey, we have PTRN. Every one of these conversations you've listened to already, and the next one with Bob, and also my look at the book, they'll be available at our website, PTRN. Prophecytoday.com is the site, the location on the site, PTRN.
in. That's Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's radio when you want it, at your convenience, when it's good for you to be able to listen to it. All of our programs, we have eight different programs, and they're all archived there at PTRN. So go to the website. It's prophecytoday.com. Well, we had a wonderful time at our School of Prophets Prophecy Conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We're going to be back there next year, same time, and we have an important announcement coming soon about a possibility of a great rally. A number of speakers, maybe some music. Keep your dial set. We'll be telling you about that in the future. And next June, we go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We'll continue our School of Prophets teaching, bringing students in to study the Word of God so that they can better be prepared to understand the times in which they're living and also to be able to look at those events as what God's Word lays out will take place. This is a part of being a true student of the Word of God, but being a servant of the Lord as well. Now, a longtime broadcast partner with us right here on Prophecy Today, Colonel Bob McGinnis. He's in the Washington, D.C. area, has a day job at the Pentagon, and with the subject that we're going to be discussing, 9-11 commemorating what did take place, stopping to remember that dastardly day taking place some 11 years ago. Bob has made his way over to the Pentagon 9-11 Memorial Site. Bob, thank you so very much uh, for talking with us about this very auspicious day that took place, what happened there. You're there at the memorial. I'm sure it has an emotional overflow on your experience itself. In fact, tell me, were you there on 9-11 those many years ago? Uh, Jimmy, I was in Washington at the Family Research Council on 9-11. We were watching carefully as the towers in New York were hit by the bombs of the aircraft. And then we heard in the distance uh, another explosion, you know, not that long Later, it was about, I think, exactly 9.37 is what it says on the sign here at the memorial, that uh, an aircraft at 500 miles an hour went into the west side of the Pentagon. And I'm looking at the sites, and I recall 11 years ago uh, when I drove by it that afternoon. uh, It was burning. It was a a big V mark in the side of the building, a big gash, of course, in front of me where the memorial is today, where 184 benches with water flowing under them are located. Uh, It was nothing but vehicles, uh, fire trucks and ambulances and the like. Uh, So it was a a very surreal day. Uh, And it doesn't seem like 11 years ago, but in fact it has been. Bob, I want to ask you just to take a moment, if you will, and reflect from your own heart. That day, now let me just start it off by saying I was in Atlanta, Georgia, getting ready to be involved in a Bible prophecy conference. Our son Jim called us. He said, Dad, a plane had hit the Twin Towers, at least one of them in New York City. Now, my wife Judy and I lived there for a number of years. We had been up in the Twin Towers many, many times. And when I turned on the television to see what was going on, the second plane hit the tower. And it was just, it was so surreal. You used the word just a moment ago. It was unbelievable what had happened that point in time. Uh, Talk to me, reflect with me just a moment what your thoughts were about this attack on the United States. Well, in fact, it was surreal, Jimmy. Uh, It was a beautiful day here in Washington, a cool September morning, uh, clear skies. I just returned from Europe where I was in an intelligence 
uh, conference where we were talking about the vulnerability of the United States to terrorist attack. And, of course, uh, I had been working on uh, this guy called Osama bin Laden and writing articles, but nobody was listening up until that time. And as soon as things started to occur and the name came out, I, uh, of course, was called by you know, Fox and CNN and you know, about 30 radio programs that afternoon. Uh, and so it was a little bit out of the ordinary, let's say. And uh, subsequently, I eventually got home that night, I think about midnight. Uh, but as I went down I-95 south, there was nobody on uh, the road. I passed here at the Pentagon, and the fire was burning, and there were all sorts of fire trucks. And then, of course, when I got home, the, the jets were flying overhead. Well, it was a very terrible time in the history of the United States of America. Bob, tell me, has America learned anything from that attack? Well, I think we have, Jimmy. We've put together the Homeland Security that, uh, of course, has ratcheted up airline uh, security. Uh, We have uh, a variety of laws that go after terrorists and keep them out of our country. And we've fought a couple of wars, uh, I think, um, perhaps in the state to a certain degree. Uh, We've done a lot of things. Uh, I think we've learned... Uh, but we've also uh, have forgotten. We indeed have forgotten. And I think just stopping to remember 9-11 11 years ago on this next coming Tuesday is very important for each and every one of us as members of the citizenry of the United States of America. Uh, what about the fact, are we prepared? Is America, our military, prepared for another such attack, Bob? Well, there are plenty of indications, of course, that we're vulnerable, but and we try to fill those gaps as best as we can. Uh, we see the terrorists uh, all around us, and we've we're got them amongst us as well as overseas trying to fly here and, and do us harm. Uh, so I think we're safer, but uh, at the same time, our enemies are much more dangerous than I think they have been in the past. Is there reason to believe that we must be continually working at being prepared? I mean, should we be doing something for the future? Well, we're always doing something for the future in terms of uh, becoming more observant of people around us, trying to vet people coming to this country, uh, and, of course, conducting operations overseas with our military and intelligence forces to identify and you know, remove uh, those threats. Uh, I think, though, in this new age, we have to recognize that uh, we're more vulnerable because of technology and the types of weapons that can be used against us, so we can never let our guard down. Now, you just made a very interesting statement. We're working at recognizing those potential enemies over there, and we'd have to focus on the Middle East and probably the Islamic world. What are we doing, and are we doing enough to recognize these potential enemies that in that part of the world? Well, certainly we have recognized many, and we've gone to war and continue to war with uh, people in the Horn of Africa and uh, throughout the Middle East, all the way to Afghanistan and elsewhere in the world. Uh, I don't know that you can ever say enough, Jimmy, because all it takes is one incident in which Americans, innocent Americans, are killed that we begin to question again, uh, should we have invested differently? Uh, This is a very complex business, uh, and it's changing every day, so... I don't know that uh, I can really give you a good answer to that. And do you think this world is getting any better? Are are we living in a world today that uh, we can say, hey, wait a minute, we've had this one incident, somebody 
had the nerve to strike the United States of America, but they're not willing to do that again? Or is it the reverse? Is that desire to take over the world, and I would say basically by the the ones in the Islamic world who would like to set up a worldwide caliphate, a worldwide kingdom, is that world getting better, or is it uh, better, in fact, that they won't attack us, or are they preparing to do that? I'm looking at the Pentagon, and I'd like to see the place shut down, but the fact is uh, the world is far less safe than it was 11 years ago because of globalization and the high technology that are in the hands of uh, many of our adversaries, plus the fact that uh, there are reemergent enemies. I, I think the Chinese are are very, very serious and eventually will be uh, a significant world power, not just economically. Uh, the Russians are reemerging, and, of course, you have throughout the Middle East uh, other enemies and South America. So we face many, many enemies. Uh, some are non-state actors, terrorist groups, or state actors. Uh, they're dangerous, and they must be dealt with. And unless we're uh, vigilant and, and willing to deal with them, I think eventually they could destroy this nation. Well, and you mentioned both China and Russia, and I've talked with you many times on this broadcast. You're somewhat of a China watcher. They are quickly becoming the number two military power in the world. You've got Vladimir Putin now as president once again in Russia. He's rearming with every moment he can to get ready to be a superpower in the world. That means these two nations in particular outside of the Islamic world could be threats in the future, and it doesn't look like they're going to back down. They're going to keep moving ahead, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. The the Chinese, of course, have radically increased the military capability. I monitor every year, and I've been watching them for over 30-plus years. And I see a a very modern uh, military, a blue-water navy, fifth-generation fighters, a nuclear uh, arsenal that is... Uh, becoming very, very uh, significant and capable. The same thing with the Russians. Vlad, you know, certainly Vladimir Putin is, uh, I think, has desires of reemerging, uh, lifting up the old Soviet Union under his name. Um, and he's, of course, the rhetoric is there. And I, I believe uh, he's beginning to improve on his military in a way that is becoming a credible force. Bob, I know that you are a strategic planner by trade. And uh, you have uh, that in your system. Now, strategically looking ahead, and I I don't know, you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I want to ask you, though, how likely is it that we will have another strike on America? And in a scale of 1 to 10, where would you put it? Oh, we're going to have another strike. It's a matter of how and when. So it's, it's a 10. Uh, it's a matter of really you know, how bad it's going to be, and that's my concern. You know, with the biological and nuclear agents that are out there, I'm not as concerned about chemicals because of how they rapidly dissipate. Uh, but the biological stuff we've been dealing with for some time, and you know, all you have to do is look at places like um, Syria, Iran, North Korea, China, uh, Russia. Uh, we know they've had programs. Uh, some of them deny them today, but they're significant. And then, of course, uh, our adversaries in the terrorist realm, uh, they've been clamoring for these agents for a long time. They're, that wasn't a secret. Bin Laden wrote about it when he was in Kandahar, Afghanistan, and we picked up those records up firsthand. So we know the threat. Uh, we have to be vigilant. You never know when they're going to strike or how they're going to strike. I think most of the time, 99% of the time, we're going to be able to be stop them. Uh, but it only takes a couple of times to get through, and uh, many people could die. 
Colonel Bob McGinnis standing outside the Pentagon there at the Pentagon 9-11 memorial site giving us this report. And by the way, you could tell maybe by some of the noise in the background, he was outside the building. Bob, this has been a very important time of just reflecting, remembering, and looking ahead. And I know that the people he's dropping on this conversation are going to realize how important it is as we think and uh, pray and consider what we should do in the future as it relates to a potential attack that you say is a number 10 here on America. Thank you, my good friend. Have a great weekend, and thank you so much for participating with us. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Wow, what a conversation with Colonel Bob McGinnis, standing there out in front of the Pentagon, right there at the Pentagon 9-11 memorial site. Well, this should cause us to reflect and remember and be prepared for such a attack that may happen again. Bob said it would. I take him at his word. He's a strategic planner. He should know. Right after the broadcast, Judy and I head down to Georgia. We'll be in Monroe, Georgia, the Grace Baptist Church tomorrow morning. Tomorrow evening, the Centennial Baptist Church for the 60th Anniversary International Conference for Source of Light. Bill Shade and all of his people. Come join us. Hey, we're going to take a break. Come back. We'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On this special edition, we have paused to reflect on the horrific attack on America on 9-11-2001. Colonel Bob McGinnis was at the Pentagon 9-11 memorial site as he talked with us 
on the weekend edition of Prophecy Today. By the way, you can tell a friend that they can hear that interview with Bob McGinnis on PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's on our website, prophecytoday.com. While there, by the way, let me remind you to listen to all of our broadcast partners. The interviews I had with them will be posted at that site. Go again to that site, prophecytoday.com, PTRN. Get all the details behind the headlines from our broadcast partners. Those things that are happening in the world today, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, Ken Timmerman, he was in Washington talking about the geopolitical activities. We looked at the strange signals that are being sent by the Obama team to Israel and talking about that preemptive attack on Iran and what the Israelis should do. They're not quite sure what America's going to do. David Dolan gave us our Middle East news update, and we discussed the Israeli reaction to the Obama team and Israel's possible preemptive strike, a preparation for it at least, there on Iran. Winky Madad, we changed the focus, and we looked at what the Palestinians are accusing the Israelis of. They say that the Jews have returned to the land. They just, of their own free will and choice, decided to come back into the land. None of them are Jewish refugees. There's about 850,000 of them that were thrown out of the countries we would refer to as Arab countries there in the Middle East. They are refugees. That discussion with Winky is very important to understand the times in which we're living because the Bible does talk about a return of the Jewish people into the land of their forefathers. That's the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, chapter 34, and it said the land in chapter 36. Very important discussion with Winky Madad. Dr. Rob Condon came to the table. He talked about and discussed with us the possibility of the reopening of the Lisbon Treaty. That's the treaty that holds together the European Union. What would that mean? What would the ramifications of it be? So that you might understand that, go to our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN. All of those interviews with our broadcast partners are posted there. They're archived. You'll be able to listen to them and tell a friend about these special special reports that we're getting, helping us to understand all that's happening in our world. However, my conversation with Colonel Bob McGinnis at the Pentagon 9-11 Memorial site was very moving, as well as revealing. Bob told us that America would be attacked again. He said on a scale of 1 to 10, it would be a 10. Wow. He brought into the mix China and Russia They'll be a part of what's going to happen in the future militarily as it relates to the United States. You know, Bob is a strategic planner. That's what his life has been for a number of years now. He's, he considers all the geopolitical aspects of what's going on in our world, and that's how he then came to the conclusion and made that statement. As mentioned earlier, Jesus Christ mentioned that in the last days there would be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That's the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 6 and 7. Many of the ancient Jewish prophets foretold of a scenario that Jesus talked about and that we see unfolding in our world today. For example, when you go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, it speaks of a coalition 
of nations, an alignment of the nations coming against the Jewish state of Israel. They want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Magog is mentioned. That's the area of Russia. Gog, we don't know who that leader is. And it could well be Vladimir Putin. I'm not saying that's who it is. The Bible does not tell us. But Ezekiel 38 talks about this coalition of nations. Daniel chapter 11, you have to collaborate with Ezekiel 38 and Daniel 11, the passages of Scripture. Verses 40 to 43 in Daniel 11 reveals that uh, the first three nations that will make their attacks against Israel will be Syria, Egypt, and Libya. Now, if you know what's going on in our world today, they indeed, those three are on the radar screen, Syria, Egypt, and Libya. Psalm 83 must be considered as you look at all of these nations gathering together to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. It tells of nations that will go into a meeting. They will have a planning station. They will come out of the meeting and they will say, we must wipe Israel off the face of the earth that her name be forgotten forever. There's been a number of meetings as recent as about a week and a half ago there in Tehran when they had the gathered 120 nations, the non-aligned nations movement. And that's exactly what President Hamad Anijad was talking about. Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, speaks of the kings of the east. That would be China, and that would be India, and all the kings of the east. They will come across the Euphrates River, which will be dried up and make their way into the land of Israel, into the city of Jerusalem for the regathering of all the nations of the world. Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 to 16, foretells of the time when the nations Every king of the earth, every president or leader of any nation will bring them into Jerusalem, gathering there to take on the return of Jesus Christ. By the way, Revelation 16, 13 to 16 says the Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet will use signs, wonders, and miracles. Those are prevalent in our world today to cause these nations to come into Jerusalem. You know, Jesus was right. Wars and rumors of wars... Today, we have over 150 wars going on in our world right now. But may I tell you that what Jesus Christ said and those ancient Jewish prophets about the wars and rumors of wars and all the activities I've been discussing in these prophecies from Ezekiel 38, Daniel chapter 11, Psalm 83, Revelation 16, Every one of those prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And the wars that we see happening in our world today are only a prelude to what is going to take place. We talk a lot here on Prophecy Today about how this world is coming to a position where peace is going to be removed, war is going to be the central focus. We're fighting a lot of it. When we think about 9-11 and the attack on the United States of America, somebody had the audacity to step forth and try to wipe out the most powerful nation in the world. We have to recognize the fact that this is the world we're living in, a world described by Jesus Christ and the ancient Jewish prophets. But before all of these wars begin, the rapture of the church takes place. And you know what? The rapture, Jesus taking us to heaven, could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.